All right, everybody ready? Has it been a great, great weekend? I had some uh, students telling me like, wow, I can't believe it's already over. You know, we're so close. And I agree, it's been a great weekend. Uh, actually, during the break, I was asking like, hey, it's been such a great weekend. Why don't we stop here? And uh, <laughs> some feel like we still need message four. So, okay, we're going to have message four. Um, but just a quick introduction. My name's David. And... I have been coming to these conferences, uh, I'll date myself, since I was a student in the late 90s, okay? Raise your hand if you were not yet born in the late 90s. Okay. Every year at these conferences, that number is going up more and more. Okay, I've been coming since the 90s, and I've really appreciated the candidness of some of the brothers that have shared. Um, James told us uh, what type of group he was hanging out with when he was younger. Uh, that was a little revelation about himself. Um, and I really appreciate our brother Ken telling us about his grades. Uh, made me feel better about my GPA in college. <laughs> well, let me tell you... Uh, who I was. Uh, in 1 Timothy, Paul called himself the foremost of sinners. Well, when I came to these conferences, guess what I was the foremost of? I was the foremost sleeper. <laughs> it didn't matter if I slept. I was on the front row, the middle, the back. I came and I slept. <laughs> okay, but that makes me very sympathetic to people that are sleepy I know we all lost an hour. If you're yawning, if you're tired, no problem. Just keep coming semester after semester to these conferences. And hopefully, just like me, I always left with some little part of God speaking that helped me progress in my Christian walk. Um, so maybe you sleep through 95% of this morning. If you just get one sentence, then the meeting was a success. Okay? Okay, but I'll do my job to keep us interacting. Um, maybe we'll stand when we read some of the verses just to get some stretching in. Try to keep it a little interactive, and we'll see how we do, okay? All right, so let's jump right into it. Let me tell you, schedule-wise, we're going to go, uh, I'm going to try to do a hard stop at noon, and then we'd like to give you all just a tiny window to share, then we'll have some announcements and be out of here 12.10, 12.15 max. Okay? Um, all right, so that's the deal. So let's get started. We're going to jump right into it. Uh, I'm going to move quickly because the points at the end, I feel like, are almost uh, that we need that to complete the message. So we're going to move at a brisk pace. All right, so let's read Roman number one all together. The Savior, a sinner of well and water. All right. So we're going to read verses 3 through 8, and let's have the guys stand up, get some stretching in. Y'all read 3 through 5, and then the girls just follow immediately with 6 through 8. Go. He
So my first question in those six verses is, who was thirsty in this story? Okay, in verse 6, it says Jesus was wearied from his journey. Okay, so is Jesus thirsty? Yes. yes. He even asked in 7, he asked somebody for a drink. So obviously, um, just like our brother Ken, he said, hey, give me a drink. He was thirsty. Okay. Who else was thirsty in this story? The woman, yes. She came to the well to draw water. So two thirsty people had an encounter at the well. Okay, now my next question is, what does it mean to be thirsty? Okay, obviously there's physical thirst. Your tongue gets dry and you want to quench it, so you drink some water. It's your body's way of saying, give me something to drink. Okay, but symbolically, remember this is a book of signs. What does it mean to be thirsty? Dried and unsatisfied, yeah. Okay, one more. Yeah, yearning. Okay, let me give you the, uh, the dictionary definition. It is a strong desire for something. Okay, using this as a backdrop, a strong desire for something. Let's go back. Who was thirsty in this story? Jesus and the woman. Okay, so let's apply this definition. You're telling me that in this story, the woman had a strong desire for something? And who else? Jesus. Okay. If you can catch this point, it'll just, it'll be awesome, okay? What was Jesus' strong desire for? And what was the woman's strong desire for? Okay, actually, who in this universe is not thirsty? And what are they thirsty for? Okay, let's go back to the title and read that all together. Okay, what are we thirsty for? Satisfaction. Okay. Now, let me ask you, why? Why does man have a thirst for satisfaction? Okay, another question. According to Genesis 1.26, in whose image did God make man? His own image, Okay. So if man has a thirst for satisfaction and we're made in the image of God, what does that have to say about the God of the universe? The God of the universe has a thirst for satisfaction. So you have to ask, what is it that satisfies the God of the universe? Okay, let's read Luke 19.10 all together. We don't have to stand up this time. Okay, so imagine the God of the universe, he creates the heavens and the earth, he forms man out of the dust of the earth, 
The heavens are for the earth. Everything is for man because he loves man. He wants to gain man. And even we saw last night that God wants a counterpart. And then man became lost. This one that was supposed to be his bride became lost to sin. Okay, so what do you think will satisfy the God of the universe? It's to regain, to seek and to save that which is lost. I found this fascinating. It's like in our concept, God is after the good ones. But if you look in this story, you look at, uh, what does it say in verse 4? He had to pass through Samaria. You get into the details of this woman. Her life wasn't a goody two-shoes life. She had had five husbands. She was now living with another man who wasn't her husband. So she's not exactly the moral representative of an upstanding citizen. But Jesus, it said that he had to. This is what he was thirsting for, is he wanted to seek and save those which are lost. You could almost say the more lost somebody is, the more thirsty he is, the more the Savior is yearning to come in to satisfy their thirst because that quenches his own thirst. That is what satisfies him. Isn't that awesome? Okay, so Jesus is thirsty and the woman is thirsty. <clears throat> I'll tell you a quick story. Um, when uh, Chris Hall was a student, he and some of his football buddies and some other guys from Austin were um, taking a road trip up to Colorado and they were coming through Lubbock. And we had just moved to Lubbock and they were supposed to come to our house for dinner. And so my wife, you know, she's thinking, okay, we got 15 college guys, half of them are on the football team, doing the math of how much food we needed to cook. And so she cooked just trays of food. Okay, they were supposed to come at six. Around five, we get a call saying, uh, you'll have to get the details, but the limo that they were, they used car, it's nuts, ask them later, car trouble. Okay, don't use a used limo for your, a long cross-country road trip. Uh, not a good idea. Um, so... Car trouble, they're going to be an hour late. Okay, we can handle that. Well, an hour turned into two hours, and then around, you know, then it was going to be 9 o'clock, and then around 10 o'clock, they're about, you know, still an hour away, and they're like, hey, it's getting late. I don't know if we're going to make it. Okay, and at this point, we've got a kitchen full of food, and I've got a wife that cooked all this food. And I'm on the phone, I'm saying, bro, you guys have to get here. <laughs> or it's going to be bad news on many levels. <laughs> okay, they rolled in about midnight. The food was hot. They ate it all. We had a, a jam sing session. We flowed the river out in the living room. It was awesome. Okay, who left satisfied? They were satisfied, but what about my wife who cooked all that food? She was happy, okay? What if nobody had shown up 
A dinner had been prepared, and there was nobody to eat it, okay? This is the way the God of the universe feels. It's like he's prepared this incredible salvation, and all he wants is for man to participate in it. So he had to go to Samaria. If you look geographically, Samaria was a despised region. When you, he was trying to get above it, and the way the Jews did it is they routed around it. This was their typical way they traveled. But with Jesus, he knew there was a thirsty person there, and he had, he had to go through Samaria to encounter this woman. All right, so let's look at more of the details. So Roman numeral 2, let's have the guys stand and read 9, and then the girls, uh, verse 10. Ready, go. All right, so underline gift of God, and then let's all read Romans 6.23 together to find out what is the gift of God. The gift of God is what? Yeah, the gift of God is eternal life. In message three, in John three, what is the need of every man on the planet? Life, regeneration. Okay, so he's telling her, it's a gift. The gift of God is eternal life. Okay, so here's a woman. She didn't know what her real need was. She had no idea that there was something called the gift of God, nor did she know who was speaking to her. Okay, That's what it says in verse 10. He talks about the gift of God, and he's saying, guess what? You don't even know who's talking to you. One time, uh, right after I graduated, I had to have surgery on my ankle, and I was in Mississippi doing some rehab, and I was in this clinic, and a very athletic person walked in to the training room, and it was actually just the two of us. And he sat down on the training table right next to me, and he, uh, I just stuck my hand out, and I said, hi, my name's David. And then he reciprocated, and he said, my name's Deuce. And I said, excuse me? And he said, my name's Deuce. And I said, okay, cool. You know, I'd never met anybody named Deuce before, so that was new to me. And, uh... So that day at dinner, I was with the family uh, who I was staying with, and I said, yeah, the strangest thing happened to me today. Um, I was talking to this guy. I mean, he looked athletic, and he introduced himself as Deuce. Have you ever met anybody named Deuce? And uh, the kids at the table just lit up, and they're like, that was Deuce McAllister. And he, I guess he was the running back for the... <laughs> He was a running back at the time for the New Orleans Saints. I had no idea, you know. I was David and he was Deuce. I mean, just. (laughs) 
Okay, one of my favorite stories is um, one of my good friends, his dad was a flight attendant uh, for American Airlines, and so he would often serve passengers in first class, and so the flight attendants, they get a list of the names of the passengers, and so they go greet them by name, you know, they're trained in, you know, just how to be personal, and so he comes up, and he says, hi, uh, is it Mr. Urban? Um, did I say that right? Um, and, he said, and so they conversed, and uh, he said, so wh what do you do? And uh, the guy looked at him, he's like, what do I do? And, um, and he's like, yeah, no, I don't know. He's like, do you know who I am? And the flight attendant, he said, no, I don't. And he said, my name's Keith Urban. I'm a, you know, I sing country music, you know, have you heard of me? And he said, no. <laughs> And actually, uh, Keith Urban thought it was the coolest thing to meet somebody that had no idea who he was. And they could just talk like normal people. He wasn't treated like a celebrity. Um, anyways, okay, this happens where sometimes we don't know who is talking to us. Well, in this case, this woman, the God of the universe, was conversing with her. And he's saying, you don't know who's talking to you. Okay, well, we don't want to miss the Lord speaking, okay, and what the Lord spoke to that woman, maybe he'll speak to us this morning, and let's tune in, because this is the God of the universe talking. Okay, moving on to 11 to 14, uh, let's get some more stretching in, we'll have the guys, we'll start with the girls, y'all do 11 and 12, and then guys, 13 and 14. Okay, and just to get the context, let's all read the title, Roman numeral 2, together. What does it say? This water curses the water that Christ will give. Okay, that phrase, this water, comes from verse 13, so underline that. I want to spend some time to talk about what is this water. So Jesus was talking about the physical water of the well, but again, this is symbolic, so what is he referring to when he says this water? Then there's another water in the universe, and that's in the next verse. He says, the water that I will give. So underline that, the water that I will give. So there's a contrast here between this water and the water that Christ can give. So really, there's only two things that can quench man's thirst or that man can attempt to quench their thirst with. One is this huge bucket called this water, and then there's the water that I will give. Okay, what is on this line and what's on this line? 
Well, there's water that Christ will give, and if it's not that, it's on this side, okay? That's the simple way of putting it. So what is included in this water? It's, simply put, it's everything that man attempts to quench his thirst apart from Christ. Okay, if Christ isn't involved, then whatever it is, it is involved in this water, okay? That can be money, it can be amusement, it can be entertainment, it can be knowledge, philosophy, athletics, anything can become this water. But let me tell you what happens with this water. One, it's, maybe there is some sort of degree of satisfaction, but the satisfaction it renders is only temporary. And then what did Jesus say about this water? Everyone who drinks of this water shall what? Thirst again. So the chief characteristic of this water is instead of quenching your thirst, it makes you thirstier. It's kind of a cheat. You think you get satisfied, but in the end, you're craving goes up and up and up. That's the chief characteristic of this water. Um, okay, simple thing. Raise your hand if you have a savings account. Okay? Raise your hand if you wish there was more money in your savings account. <laughs> okay? You know, let's take a simple number. Um, we don't have to raise hands. But I bet if we just asked, raise your hand if you'd be happy if there was $1,000 in your savings account. For many college students, that is big time. It'd help you sleep better at night, okay? But let me tell you, if you got to $1,000 in your savings account, would you clock out and just say, I'm good? No. You'd reach that number, and instead of your thirst being quenched, you're thirsty. You want more. So 1,000 becomes 2,000, 5,000, 10,000, 100,000. But you can still, the anxieties of the age, convince yourself that even that's not enough. You want a million dollars. It just shows this is a type of this water that will not quench. It just makes you thirstier. Okay? Raise your hand if you like to work out. Okay? Everybody likes to work out. Guess what? It's good to work out. Timothy says bodily exercise is profitable for a little. Okay, our problem is we have a hard time stopping at a little. Uh, all the guys like to work out. Raise your hand if you're a male and you're aware of what your current max is. Okay. You reach a certain max, you have a goal, and guess what? You're not done. You want to go up and up. It makes you thirstier for more. You want your squats to go up, you want your bench to go up, you want everything to go up. Thirsty. You achieve something of this water, and it makes you thirstier. Thirstier. Okay? Same with athletic achievements. Um, <clears throat> Okay, a lot of times people get things into the realm of right or wrong, 
sinful, not sinful. Okay, we're not talking about whether things are sinful. We're talking about whether it makes you thirstier. Okay? <clears throat> I saw this happening with me when I was in college, you know, or in high school. I had this job that was cake. It was super easy. And I'd go watch movies all the time. You know, there was a time where I saw every movie that was out. And I'm talking about in the theater being offered at that time. And just I noticed the more you watched it, the more you wanted to watch another one. And then another one. It's like thirstier, thirstier. Okay? Forget right or wrong. Just pick up this pattern of it just makes you thirstier, thirstier. Um, my wife and I have just noticed that athletes that come out of college, these budding stars, they play basketball, and you just watch them, and within just a couple years, their, their bodies somehow become canvases for just tattoos. It's like they start with one, and then they get another one, and then another one, another one, thirstier, thirstier, thirstier. Okay, you just see this happening everywhere. I remember the first house my wife and I bought, it was a fixer-upper, and it was fun to fix it up, and... <clears throat> but then I noticed, like, this never ends. <laughs> um, okay, it was old. We didn't have much money. And so I think the first thing we replaced were the doorknobs. They were these old bronze. And we replaced them with some cheap, shiny, silver, you know, updated doorknobs. Okay? We enjoyed that for about a day. <laughs> and then I noticed that our new doorknobs made the door hinges look old. So I went to Home Depot and bought new door hinges. Anyways, this cycle just spawned itself again and again and again where it's like, change the baseboards, change the wall colors, change this, change this. It didn't stop. It just, the more I did it, the more it made me thirstier. Okay, this is this water. Do, do you see the cycle here? Okay, but there's a problem, is laced in this water many times, many, many times, is a poisonous element, okay? It's not just a distraction, but there's poison laced into a lot of these things. Okay, in John 10.10, 10, it says that Jesus came to steal, kill, and what? Destroy. Sorry. Uh, forgive me, yes, Jesus came to give life <laughs> and to give it abundantly. The devil is the thief, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. <clears throat> okay, so many addictions come out of man's just thirst. They're longing to quench their thirst. Men are addicted to all kinds of things. I'm saying that in general, men and women. Um, alcohol addictions, pornography addictions, gambling addictions. You go down the list. Uh, nicotine addictions. There's all kinds of addictions out there. Gaming addictions, where men just get entangled in things. And actually, there's such great science out there showing how harmful these things are for you. Physically, psychologically, they ruin your vessel. And we hear these studies, and we agree with them, but we still cannot stop this craving to quench our thirst. 
That's how strong man's thirst is within him. And uh, just as an illustration, Okay, one of my uh, shortcomings is a love for soda. <clears throat> and many times I get thirsty. You go to the gas station, you go anywhere, and there are just walls of refrigerators, okay? How many choices do you have when you go into a gas station? Okay, from a marketing standpoint, why is it that they make water in such unappealing containers? <laughs> Compared to this, it's like I know this is what I need, but just the colors, the marketing, all of it. I go in wanting a water bottle, and I come out with a Mountain Dew. <laughs> it's just like, you know, and then, okay, I've read the science about what soda does to you, and still I, I go for it. It's like I can't get out of this loop. Okay, soda, what are some things that it does? It, okay, I'll just tell you some things. When you drink water, it helps take the nutrients of the food that you've eaten and sends it to the rest of your body, okay? When you drink soda, it strips your body of the nutrients you just ate, and sends them out of your body, okay? So it depletes your body of nutrients. It makes you more dehydrated. It was, I got it to quench my thirst, but instead it makes me more dehydrated. And then it is designed to leave you craving more, okay? That's the science behind it. So we need to get out of this cycle of getting the poisonous element that is laced into everything that is this water and switch to the living water. <clears throat> All right, let me read you a couple quotes. Here's one. The amount we drink of the world will be the degree of thirst we will have. Okay, they're in proportion to each other. You drink more of the world, your thirst for the world will match it. It's in proportion to each other. So that was the amount we drink of the world will be the degree of thirst we will have. Kind of like this next one. However much we reject the world, we will enjoy that much of the Lord's riches. Okay, so these kind of counter each other. The degree that we go to the world will be the degree of our thirst. But the degree that we reject the world, the Lord's riches will fill that void. So we have an option, and we're going to talk about this, how to make that trade. All right, we got to keep moving. So let's go on to Roman rule three. Let's read that all together. Okay, so I want to take a drink. What is, physically speaking, what is the primary organ of your body involved in taking a drink? Yeah. I'm not going to do it, uh, but if I poured it in my ear, 
my body would get zero benefit from it. Um, okay, our mouth is the primary organ involved. When we talk about the way to take a drink, physically it's the mouth. Okay, so this is signs. Again, this whole story is signs. Okay, so what do you think, spiritually speaking, is the primary organ involved in taking a drink? Your mouth, okay? The symbols stay the same. Our mouth is heavily involved. <clears throat> okay, um, we had two from Lubbock get baptized last night. Did anybody else get baptized yesterday? Raise your hand. Okay, there are countless benefits and reasons why to get baptized. But let me give you another verse, and this is 1 Corinthians 12, 13. And I'll just read it to you. I'll give you a kind of summarize. This is, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, and we're all given to drink one spirit. Okay, so it says we were baptized, and through our baptism, we were given to drink. What does it mean to be given to drink? Another word for given there is positioned. Baptism positions you to drink the living water. I know some of you are still struggling with this thought of, should I be baptized? Should I, you know, would my parents be happy with it? This or that, all kinds of reasons about why. Well, baptism positions you to drink the living water. Maybe you can't get freed from this trap of this water that the world offers you. Baptism will position you to drink the living water that Christ offers you. Okay, another word for given is qualifies. Baptism qualifies you. It not only positions you, it qualifies you. Anyways, I hope more that are struggling, take this step so that you can drink the living water. Okay, that's step number one on the way to drink is we need to get positioned, get in the right position, and baptism puts you right there at the drinking fountain. You're right there. Okay, step two is A, asking him. Let's all read uh, verse 15 together. All right. Um, okay, this is in response to him saying, if you knew the gift of God and if you knew who it was, who's talking to you, you would have asked. So in a great sense, what did she do? She asked. She said, sir, give it to me. Okay, I want it. That's, that's step two, is we need to ask. Amen. When we get thirsty, ask the Lord for the living water. Say, Lord, give me the living water. Lord, I'm thirsty for the living water. And according to his word, he'll fulfill it. If you ask, he says, if you'll ask, I'll give it to you. So she did it. She said, sir, give me this water. Okay, she asked, and then it's very striking what the Lord's response was. Instead of immediately giving her the water, we have point B, which says, confessing her sins, the husband's. All right, let's have the guys stand up and read 16 and 17, and the girls do 18.
Okay, this Samaritan woman is a representative of every one of us. She represents the thirst that is within all mankind. Okay, every one of us have things, have husbands, have things that we go to again and again. We don't satisfy, so we go to the next one, we go to the next one. Okay, she asked for the little living water, and what did the Lord ask for? Her husband. Okay, it's kind of like this, where Nick is holding on to his Mountain Dew. Actually, he doesn't just have a Mountain Dew, he's got a, a Coke. <clears throat> and I say, Nick, if you ask for the living water, I'll give it to you. So what does Nick do? He says, you got to ask. So he says, okay, Jesus doesn't just throw him the water. Instead, he says, give me your Sprite. And Nick says, I don't have any Sprite. <laughs> okay, but he knew, he knew what her what she was drinking, what she was thirsting for. And what he wanted to do was he wanted to make a trade. Go call your husbands, and we're going to make a trade. Nick, let me have your husbands. <laughs> and now you can have the living water. Okay, this is what the Lord wants to do, is he wants to make the trade. And that's part of what confessing is, is our acknowledging. She... She kind of tells a half-truth. She says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus is very gentle with her. He doesn't slam her on the head. You liar! <laughs> but instead he says, well said. But let me help you acknowledge the full truth. And so he tells her her history. And all she can say is, wow, you must be a prophet. You know my history. Okay, this is the one that wants to give us the living water. We don't have to pretend with him. He knows who we are. He knows our real situation better than we are. He knows how much we crave the this water of the universe more than we do. And all he wants us to do is acknowledge that we have other things that we go to. And just that simple acknowledgement is a confessing. Confessing is not a deep soul-searching to figure out everything you did wrong. Really, confessing is just acknowledging. The Lord says, you have husbands. And you just say, you're right, Lord. That's a confessing. He helps us confess to make the trade so that he can give us the living water. Okay, I really like Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Let's read that all together. What has become a separation? Your sin. Okay? Now let's read 1 John 1 9. How do we take care of our sins? Okay, most of you in this room have been Christians for 
a good while, a question I've often wondered, and this portion clears up, is why is there a lack of spiritual thirst in so many Christians? They're just not thirsty. It's like they're not interested, they're apathetic. Why is that the case? Well, this story reveals a big secret of why there's no thirst, and it's a simple equation. No confession equals no spiritual thirst. The devil likes to trick us into being very active as Christians and to skip this very basic, elemental part um, of our Christian walk. Confession. No confession, eventually your spiritual thirst will just become a separation and it will dry up. And it's a very serious thing to lose your spiritual thirst as a Christian. Okay? No confession equals no thirst. All right, let's keep going. C, let's read C all together. So the story continues. Uh, Jesus talks about her husbands. Her response is, Sir, I, I perceive you're a prophet. But the conversation was getting a little personal. So she changes the subject to something less personal. Uh, she thinks he's a, per, a prophet. So she's like, let's talk about something religious. And so in 20, she starts talking about worship. She brings up the matter of worship. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain and y'all worshiped in this mountain. <clears throat> so where's the place that you're supposed to worship? And then Jesus says, an hour is coming when the place isn't going to matter anymore. It's not this mountain or this mountain. And let's read 23 and 24 to see what he says. Uh, we'll read that all together. Okay, let me bring up a quick point. Um, at this point, this woman was still living in an immoral situation. And I think it's good to note here, just because somebody talks about religious things does not exempt them from an immoral living. Did you catch that? It's like, just because you talk about it doesn't exempt you. Um, anyways, we need to get freed from this, and Jesus gives us the way, and he wants to tell us God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and truthfulness. Okay, what is significant about God is spirit? What does the word spirit mean? Spirit means air, breath. The Greek word is pneuma. Okay, right now, we can breathe air. There's oxygen everywhere. Okay, it doesn't, it's not, thank goodness it's not go to this place if you want to breathe air. We'd be in bad shape. Okay, no, the air is everywhere. Well, God is spirit. And now as the spirit, in message one, we saw the incredible process that God went to to make himself available. As God, he was unaccessible. 
When he became a man, his accessibility was limited to time and place. You had to be in the right place at the right time if you wanted to encounter Jesus. Well, thank goodness he didn't stop there. He went to the cross, he died, he became the life-giving spirit so that now his accessibility is available to all of mankind. God is spirit. Let's say that all together. God is spirit. Okay, so what Jesus is saying is quit worrying about the place, but you need to worry. What you need to know is God is spirit, and if you're going to worship him, you need to use the right organ to substantiate God, to contact God. And according to 24, what is that right organ? It's our human spirit. With our human spirit, we can worship God as spirit. Okay, you look at Christians today. So many are wanting to know a place of worship. This place, that place, my place, your place. But what God's saying, he wants to talk about, if you want to worship him, you must worship not in a place, in spirit. And I really, really like verse 23. It gets skipped over a lot of times. It uses this phrase, true worshipers. Underline that. Okay, an hour's coming, and it is right now when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truthfulness. Okay, how many of you would like to render the Father true worship? Yeah. Guess what? God is also seeking those that would render him true worship. What does the end of 23 say? It says, for the Father also seeks such to worship him. Okay, I brought some binoculars. Just picture this. The God of the universe, the Father, is looking down. Where are the true worshipers? I have a lot of people, a lot of Christians saying, I'm going to worship. But he defines what true worship is. True worship is not a mental activity. True worship is not an emotional activity. It's not an emotional high. True worship is in spirit. So the Father is seeking such. He's looking. Where? Where is a true worshiper? Any true worshipers over here? Any true worshipers on the UNT campus? Where are they? Yeah. Hey, just think about this picture. It doesn't say if you're a Christian, you're a true worshiper. No, he's seeking where are the true worshipers? Those that will worship me in spirit. And guess what? To worship him, according to this concept, is to take a drink. And to take a drink involves your mouth. Um, That's why I love that song, number 41, fill my spirit up, whether I may sing, pray, or shout. What connects all those things? Our mouth. Okay, if you want to take a drink, you need to use your mouth. Whether it's calling on the Lord, I loved all the life practices that were mentioned in the previous session. All these are ways for us to take a drink of the living water 
and the way for us to become the true worshipers that God is designing. All right, lastly, D says, believing that Jesus is the Christ. Let's read that one all together. Okay, Jesus gives her this incredible revelation. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truthfulness. And what is the first words that come out of her mouth? She says, I know. Okay, major revelation, and the result is, I know. Okay, this is another pro tip. When you're in environments like this, when you go to a Bible study, when you go to your college group's meetings, and you hear that the topic is the Gospel of John, and you've read it 20 times, don't just sit down and be like, yeah, I know, and clock out. We do this all the time, but the Lord is wanting to speak to us. Um, He says, God is spirit. She says, I know. And I just thought like, man, what a facepalm Jesus must have done. It just like, you know, you're not getting it. She says, the Christ is coming. And he's like, it's me, I'm here. And it's not until she says, I, he says, I am him, I'm the Christ, that all of a sudden the lights come on. And we're going to see what happens in Roman numeral four. Okay, let's read Roman numeral four all together. Okay, in 27, early in the chapter, uh, Jesus had sent the disciples away to get food, and now they come back, and they want to know why he's speaking with the woman, but it says the woman left her water pot, actually, let's all read 28 and 29 together, ready, go. Hey, she got the revelation. She left her water pot. She came intending to take a drink. Did she ever drink in the story? She didn't drink the this water that she expected to drink. She drank a different water. She left her water pot. All these preoccupations that we have that distract us from the, are represented by the water pot. She left it and she went back And she said, come see a man. How many of you, we asked this in the beginning, but how many of you have enjoyed this weekend? Amen. Okay. How many of you can think of somebody from your campus that you wished would have been here this weekend? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what are you going to do when you go back? You need to go back and tell them about a man who you encountered this weekend and tell them, guess what? Next semester, there's going to be another chance. Come see a man. Come with me. This is what we can do. This is the way we can help share the living water. Actually, what she did was, it's kind of like at the, uh, we read earlier, 
This water wants to gush up. When we take a drink, the water wants to flow out. Okay, this is my next question. I asked earlier, why are Christians not thirsty? One problem is confession. Problem number two is no flowing out. All right, Nate and Nick, I need you up here. All right, Nick's going to be God. So as a Christian, haven't y'all enjoyed the, uh, the morning revival clinic videos? What a help those have been. So every morning, we can wake up and we can practice taking a drink. Take a drink. <laughs> All right, what's a way in your Christian life that you can take a drink? Call on the Lord. All right, call on the Lord. Lord Jesus. Yeah. So every time he does that, he takes a drink. <laughs> hey, we got to be connected. Yeah. <laughs> okay, in the beginning of your Christian walk, you've never taken a drink. So every time you open your mouth, the Lord's rich to you. Just like it says in Romans 10, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, and he's rich to all who call. So call on the Lord. Lord Jesus. Let's call on the Lord with him. Lord, Lord Jesus. Jesus. Okay. Okay, I'll share my personal experience. The first couple of times in my experience of calling the Lord, incredibly rich. But then something happened where it lost its richness. Okay, did the Lord stop being rich? No, okay. I'll tell you this, I struggled with this matter of confession. I was an expert as a male at justifying and vindicating. <clears throat> okay, in Acts it says, have a conscience void of offense with God and men. Well, I justified myself before God and men. I'd get in situations with men and I'd, I'd vindicate myself and then I'd lay on my bed and get touched and I'd be like, no, they were wrong, it wasn't me. And I'd you know, just go on and just, okay, this began to affect my Christian walk, okay? But we can have a situation where you drink, the Lord's rich to you, but if there's no flowing out, how much new water can get into the hose? Eventually you reach capacity. Uh, if there's no new outflow, there can't be any new inflow. All right, so we got a, a spout here. Okay, let's switch. So really what we need to do is Nate needs to be like this. Open up. Where he's got an inflow. But then he's going on a campus and saying, come see a man. <laughs> Say, come see a man. Come see a man. <laughs> now you're calling on the Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Inflow, outflow. Come see a man. Yeah. Oh, Lord Jesus. Yeah. Just <laughs> All right. Y'all get the point. All right. Thank you all. All right, we're almost done here, but I want to draw a diagram for you. Okay, everybody is thirsty, 
But we have a choice. Actually, if you don't know the Lord, you don't know the gift of God, you don't have a choice. All you can do is quench your thirst with the worldly water, the water of the world. And what does it do? It makes you thirsty. And you're just stuck in this cycle again and again. You might try new things, but you're just stuck again and again. Okay, but as Christians, praise the Lord, we have another option. We can quench our thirst with living water. But don't stop there. When you get your thirst quenched, we need to flow. Flow that river out. Flow it out again and again. Find somebody to talk to. And when you flow out again, that will increase your spiritual thirst and you can just stay on this cycle the rest of your Christian walk. It'll be gushing up unto eternal life. All right, I'm going to wrap up in uh, just a couple minutes. But I don't want us to miss uh, 31 through 36. Um, the disciples asked Jesus, why aren't you hungry? And he says, I have food to eat that you know not of. And he says, my food is to do the will of the Father and to finish his work. And then let's all read 35 together. All right, that's good. All right, 35. On your college campus, everybody today walks around like this. Christians, non-Christians, everybody's on their devices. Okay? Jesus says, lift up your eyes. <laughs> lift up your eyes and consider your classmates. Guess what? They're thirsty. Who's going to help them know about the living water? There's a harvest out there on every campus. The college life is our years of thirst. And people are the most willing to try all kinds of things during their college years to quench their thirst. There's got to be a group of people on every campus that will lift up their eyes. We all have our personal universe. We all have our personal situations, our anxieties, our struggles. But we need to lift up our eyes. Why are you sitting next to who you're sitting next to? Whether it's roommates, classmates, anybody, lift up your eyes. And our gospel preaching, it doesn't have to be complicated. Do what the woman did. She said, come see a man. Just say, come and see. That's what the disciples did in John 1. That was their gospel preaching. They encountered Christ, and all they said was, come and see. You don't have to give a message. Just tell your classmates, come and see. Surely there's something that you can invite them to, to help them know how to quench their thirst with the living water. All right, let's conclude by reading 39 altogether. All right, so underline Samaritans, and let's read it again. But I want you to substitute the mascot for whatever um, campus you're on. If you're from UT, you can say, and many of the Longhorns believed into him. Why? Because of the word of the woman.
Okay, so let's do this again. All right, we're going to read it again and substitute your mascot in for Samaritans. Ready, go. It is hard to fathom, and you don't believe it when you're a student. But once you're on the other side, it is, you just, you regret. And to save y'all from regret, I just want to tell y'all, the college years, you are in the best opportunity of your life to share Christ with people, with your peers. Once you get to further stages of your human life, married, job, all those different things, the opportunities to share Christ and the receptiveness of the audience greatly goes down. Anyways, I just hope that many of you would grasp this opportunity and lift up your eyes and help those on your campus to come to know that Jesus is the Christ. All right, I'll stop here and somebody can tell us what to do now.